0: So we are in the midst of uh, some changes around here, and uh, we are doing our best to improve things, and I hope you notice. Yeah, thank you. Say it with me. It's not perfect, perfect. but they're working on it. (laughs) I had a friend, um, uh, he ran a restaurant. uh, I mean, that's a lot of intensity and a lot of things behind the scenes, and he saw what we do here, like, on Sundays, and he's like, man, I I don't know how you guys pull this off all the time, (laughs) So, but yeah, there's a lot that goes into it, and the volunteers and all y'all, uh, big big shout out to you, and, uh, but we are trying to work through all of the messes and make the church better on every level, because we believe in elevating to the next level. Yes. Anybody feel like they've done, you've made too many mistakes and you can't come back from that mistake? Yeah. This, was, this is the end, I've gone too far, I can't come back. A lot of people struggle with being old. They feel like my time is past. Oh, I can't come back from that. that. That era's gone. That was spoken long ago. There's no way to come back from that. I'm too old. Anybody feel that way? Anybody not want to admit it? You know, all the older people are like, I, I, I feel that way, but I don't really want to admit because I don't want to. Yeah. So Moses is the guy that we need to look at for this. Moses is a guy, we're talking about making a comeback. Moses made a lot of mistakes. He made a lot of mistakes. And Moses not only made a lot of mistakes, but Moses, when God came around and revisited his calling to Moses and revisited uh, the things that Moses knew from, from his childhood, Moses was 80 years old, right? That's pretty old, okay? And I think Jesus does that on purpose to go, well, you're 55, you're not that old, or you're 62, you're not that, you're at least you're not 80, you know? I mean, I think God puts it out there like he's so old. Abraham's the same way. The Lord uses them in their older age so that we are without excuse. Like if the Lord can use them at that age and God can do something significant with Moses at that age, he can do something with you at any age. And we just, dis- come on, yes, we disqualify ourselves, but the Lord never disqualifies you. You've never not, you're you not disqualified. That's the amazing thing. What you're going to see something here in the life of Moses is that Jesus, even though Moses disqualified himself and Moses made a lot of choices in the wrong direction, Jesus shows up and he said, I never, I never disqualified you. And, and he reminded Moses of what had been spoken of him and what his intention was with him from the very beginning. And, so, uh, and the other thing about Jesus is he doesn't like to take the word no. He doesn't take no for an answer. Uh, you know, and we'll, we'll see the story here. So, Bible talks about Moses, and if you want to know a little bit more about Moses, a simple summary of Moses' life and a lot of the uh, Old Testament patriarchs is in Acts chapter 7. So, that's Stephen, and he's recounting a lot of things that God had done through the Old Testament, and he, one of the people uh, Stephen highlights in the book of Acts before they actually kill him. Okay, this is right before, this is Stephen's final words, before Stephen was stoned with, with rocks. He was uh, he, telling the story of how God worked through the patriarchs, and he highlights uh, one of the people he highlights Moses, is Moses. Also, the entire book of Exodus is Moses is the central figure there with the Lord, but he plays a primary role throughout the book of Exodus. Uh, Moses was educated, he was no ordinary child. Did you know that? So the Bible says, that doesn't mean he's special. You know why? Because you're no ordinary child, you're no ordinary person. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are unique by design. There has never been anyone like you, and there will never be another person like you ever again. The ability and the statistics for you to actually even being born, it, I mean, you won, right? You, you are born of all of the things that are going on when, the, when we're, the conception's about to happen and everything's trying to, all of this little race is going on to see which one of the little things can conceive, you, 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 you are a product of a winner. You're right, the one that conceived you is the one that you is the one that won. So you are victorious from the outset. We do a thing here too. Um, a part of our visioning, we do uh, uh, Clifton Strength Finders, and we give you uh, do this assessment. It gives you your five strengths. But part of Clifton's data is that if, if Clifton was to give you, if they were to give you Gallup and Clifton, if they were to give you the top. 10, if he were to give you your top 10 in that order, there's no one at the statistics or the odds of someone having the same 10 strengths as you in that order are infinite. And what it tells you is that there's never been anyone like you, and there'll never be another one like you. You have a unique fingerprint. Your, the cartilage in your ear is unique to your design. Your DNA, your, everything about you is unique and individual. It is. You're not ordinary. You're extraordinary. The Bible not only tells us that, it tells us that God determined the times and the seasons where men and women were to be born. You're not born randomly. You're chosen specifically in a generation. That tells us that in Peter. You're a chosen generation. But the language is not just you're a chosen generation. You're chosen in a generation. So you are chosen in your generation. You are created on purpose, with a purpose, in this time, in this place, for something significant. There's nothing random about this. Nothing. There's nothing random about you. God has something special for you. And so Moses was no ordinary child. It tells us this. He was educated in all of the wisdom of Egypt. If you know anything about Egypt, they were pretty smart. Okay? You can just look at some of the things that they built and go, yeah, those guys were pretty smart. Those people were pretty smart was a highly sophisticated society, very sophisticated. They were sophisticated in math, and they were sophisticated in science. They actually couldn't even discern or understand the ruins that the Egyptians built, or, what the, or the structures that they built that have now become ruins. They couldn't understand them until they understood not just Egypt's connection to their gods, but, the, but, their, not, but their connection to their religion, and the, the religion's connection to the stars. Everything Egypt did, they were known, they were mainly a star cult. They worshiped the stars, like the Babylonians. And, and what it is, is it's a mirror of ancient man trying to do heaven to earth. That's the, that's the mirror. And even though they, were, they weren't following the true God, they understood intuitively that man was created with a relationship between heaven and earth. They followed false gods. I'm not saying they were right. I'm saying they were followed false gods. But all of their worship was directly related to the stars. I mean, the Egyptian monuments—the whole—the whole compound at Giza is a star map. The the, uh, the Nile flows, and when the the ultimately the stars toss over, and the Milky Way galaxy lines up perfectly with the Nile Delta, perfectly, and not just as the Nile when when the stars move in a certain time of season, the, the Milky Way will line up with the river. All of the temples are made to di- point directly at stars including the shafts coming out of the temples, the, the pyramids, they point directly at stars. So everything about the Egyptian culture was math, science, but not just science, astrophysics. I mean, they were, they were sophisticated, and, and that's why even when God spoke to Moses and gave him the pattern of the tabernacle, he said to Moses, as above, so below. Moses would completely understand what that meant because he was raised in a culture and educated with these Egyptians who were pursuing what was above, as above, so below. So Moses was educated and he's, So he's a pretty smart guy, smarter than anybody we know. There's nobody that would be educated to that level in our modern day because we can't replicate what Egypt did, we can't. It takes computer models just to figure out what they did with pencils you know, or a compass. We have to do these sophisticated computer models just to kind of figure out what the heck is going on here. So Moses was really smart, highly educated, he had power, privilege, and position, but the greatest thing that Moses had is Moses had a sense of purpose. That is the greatest thing about Moses, was that he knew that there was a purpose and there was a significance to his life. You should know that there's a purpose and a significance to your life, right? The pursuit of happiness is a luxury. The pursuit of meaning is a moral obligation. All of us are created with a purpose. All of us are created with a with a must and a desire. We don't know maybe what that is, but you were created to pursue it. You know it. You're here and you know you're born for a reason. Is there anybody here that says, "I don't know, I don't think I'm born for anything. I think I just showed up." People intuitively, intrinsically know that they're born for something. There's a reason. I'm here for something. I don't know what I'm here for, but I know I'm born for a reason. Because God has put eternity within our hearts. He's put purpose. We're born from a purposeful source. We're born from a, a, um, a, an abundant source. And so our desire is to pursue that and to become that. It, it begins with knowing Jesus. So if you want to know where real meaning and purpose comes from, it doesn't start. It, the, the starting point is knowing Jesus, knowing your creator. And from knowing Christ and knowing now that this is what I'm born for, I'm born from him and by him. And now I'm not just born from him and born by him. I'm born... F- uh, to, to be loved by him, but I'm also born to pursue his purposes. That's how life begins to line up. That's why people pursue so many different things and they constantly find themselves empty, empty because they're pursuing happiness or they're pursuing happiness or things at the, at the, at the, um, for the purpose of self. And anytime you do anything for you at that level, you're a black hole. I don't know if you know that, you know, it just never ends. You get all the right things, and you're still not happy. You do all the right things, you get with the right people, no matter what you gain. That's why you, we see people in these high positions, and, and these, they seem like they have it all, and they kill themselves. You know, I mean, it's, it's, just, it's the most bizarre thing in the world. They have power, they have money, they have status. Everything that they could possibly want, anything from a human standpoint, every luxury that you could possibly imagine, they have it, and they're still not satisfied. And they're unsatisfied to the point of despair to where they are willing to take their own life. It's sad because man's heart cannot be fulfilled or cannot be satisfied by himself. We are satisfied only in connection to our creator, but it doesn't end there. That's why we have so many frustrated Christians because, okay, we're born again, and yeah, we have joy when we're with the Lord, but we don't have joy in any other place because we're not pursuing the purposes that he has mapped out for us. And that doesn't necessarily mean it's an occupation. It's not necessarily a job. It's a life that is, po- that is pointed out with meaning. Amen. It's the pursuit of meaning, the pursuit of significance. We're all born for significance. And so all of us are obligated to pursue significance. And when we pursue significance or meaning or purpose, suddenly something happens. We get happy. You understand that? And what's interesting about this whole deal is, is that what's meaningful to you is not necessarily meaningful to me. We're all unique because each one of us fills a different lane. Now there's groups that are passionate about this and there's groups that are passionate about that, but we're all uniquely different. Some people want to see this happen and they they spend a life doing this or, you know, mercy or kindness or justice and, or hope and other people pursue different things right? But we're all to be passionate about what God has put in our heart, and we're to pursue that. And when we pursue that, happiness comes. Happiness doesn't come through the accumulation of things. That's why the Bible says, seek first the kingdom and what is right to him, and everything else will come to you. It doesn't come to you. When we say what is right to God is what he's put in your heart. The kingdom, the dominion, the rule and the reign, the inbreaking of God's world into ours, and what is right to him is our heart's desire. And again, that's universal, but it's also individual. You know what I'm saying? So there's a, there's a universal model that we're all to pursue the kingdom, but there's also an individual model where we're all to pursue the kingdom. And we all have a, a role to play in that, in that story. And so Moses had a sense of purpose. That's his greatest attribute. More than anything he possessed, he knew there was something about his life. He's 40 years old, the Bible tells it, or not Bible, but Josephus so let me back up a little bit. Josephus was a Jewish historian. Um, he was a historian during the time of Christ. He was not a Christian. He was, a, he was uh, commissioned by Rome and he to keep a history of the Jews. And so he, being Jewish, kept a very precise history of the Jews. And he's referenced over and over again. Josephus is a uh, pretty significant historian during the time of Jesus. And Josephus wrote about Moses because, again, he's a Jewish historian. He said that Moses was the commander of the Egyptian army. And when he murdered the Egyptian, I don't know if you know the story, but I'll tell you, he ends up murdering an Egyptian. So Moses had come back from a great victory. He's feeling all pumped up and powerful about himself. And he sees an Egyptian abusing a Hebrew. And so Moses kills the Egyptian, buries him in the sand. And, and Josephus tells us that Moses was about 40 years old. Bible tells us that. But Josephus also tells us that Moses was the commander of the army. And he was returning from a great victory. So he's, he's pumped, man. Whew, I'm awesome. I'm the deliverer, ho, ho, you know, so I can deliver you. Oh, I'm gonna, you know. So he had this sense of purpose that he was going to deliver, but he tried to do it in his own strength. Moses does that; tries to bury the Egyptian, so he couldn't bury one Egyptian in his own power. But with the Lord, he buried an entire Egyptian army in the sea. So there's a total difference between the contrast of what you can do without Him and what you can do with Him. Total difference, right? So Moses. Murders the Egyptian, buries him in the sand. Then the next day he comes and he tries to solve a problem between two Hebrew brothers. And he tries to stop these two Jewish guys from fighting with each other. And they said, what are you going to do? You going to kill us like he killed the Egyptian? And so Moses freaks out, right? He's like, oh my gosh, this is known. I got to get out of here. And so Moses runs away. He made a huge mistake. And he runs away and he runs to a place called Midian and he hides there for 40 years. 40 years he hides in Midian. Can you imagine? Some of you aren't even 40 years old. I mean, he's, he, he lived in Midian in the backside of nowhere for 40 years, hiding, thinking, I've made such a huge mistake. I've done such a wrong thing. Yep, nobody, I could never come back for this. I've made a shame to myself. I've made a shame to my family. I did all of these things and I'm so wrong. And he went off and had a, a 40 year pity party. So during this time, what I want to show you is God's going to appear to Moses, but There's some things that brought this, there's some things that happened that brought this about, right? So we look at Moses, Moses had a sense of purpose, but if we look at not just Moses' life, Moses knew he had a purpose, but Moses spent time developing himself towards his purpose. He was educated in all of the knowledge of Egypt. He knew there was something about his life. He could have completely blew that off. He could have said, I don't care about any of that. But Moses spent time equipping himself for what his future held. A lot of believers have a purpose, they sense a purpose, they hear God, they have a word, they have something, there's some direction that they have to their life, but they spend no one, they invest no part of themselves or nothing towards that purpose. You guys hear me tell the story about the guy who wants to write books, he's just, it's so classic, it's such a clear example, there's a guy's like, oh, I'm going to write four books, the Lord has told me I'm writing four books, two years later, God told me I'm going to write four books, write four books, I walk up to him, how's the books coming, bro? You wrote a chapter? You got a title? You got a, nope, nope, I haven't done any of that yet, but the Lord's told me, gonna write four books. His perspective is, is Jesus is gonna come and drop a manuscript on his front door and go, there you go. You know? What he should do is he should take that word and he should immediately develop a strategy and and immediately begin to execute into that strategy. God told me this is what's gonna happen. Heaven has spoken. So, okay, that door may not be open, but I need to prepare myself for when that door does happen. There's no such thing as luck, it's called being ready. If you understand how destiny happens, God speaks a word, and what he's telling you is the wheel of time is going to turn around you, and this door is going to open to you, and I want you to be ready for it. And what happens so way too often is God speaks a word, and he says, I'm going to send you forth, or I'm going to do this with your life, and what he's telling you is in the epoch or in the dispensation of the turning of time, I'm going to present an opportunity to you, and I want you to be ready for it. But most of us, we just rock back and forth, whistling, you know, fluttering as it passes us by. And the door of opportunity presents itself, but you're not ready to step through it. And so the wheel has to turn again. And the wheel has to turn again. It's the same thing with the children of Israel. Here we go around the mountain. They played that game for 40 years because they wouldn't go into the promised land. We're around the mountain, round the mountain, round the, the mountain, wheel of time. And they refused to step through the doors of opportunity that God had presented for them. And one of the reasons was they never, they never prepared themselves for it. That's a problem. So whatever God has told you to do, if he has told you something, and you feel this is what God has spoken over my life, and I know this, and it may not be exactly the way I'm seeing it, but it has some, some formation of what he said, I'm going to prepare myself for it, and I'm going to move into it. The thing about a vision from God is the vision changes and shifts. That's perfectly normal. But it doesn't change and shift, and it doesn't clarify itself until you start moving. Habakkuk says the vision will speak. Well, the vision doesn't speak until you write it and run with it. When you write it and run with it, now all of a sudden the vision starts speaking to you. But it doesn't speak to you until you write it and run with it. We just sit there and we want all the answers. Yep, God gave me a vision. Don't know how it's going to work out. It's just going to happen. You know, Jesus is just going to come and put the Holy Spirit on me and all the knowledge is going to come. No, it's not. No, it's not. Clouds and dirt. Right? We all love the clouds, we love the surreal, the beauty, the power, the wonder, the dreams, but we forget there's dirt involved in that. We have to, we have to plow the earth. It's dirt, it's hard work, it's sweat, it's hours of time learning something you don't know, know anything about. It's hours of time disciplining yourself into something you don't know anything about, creating all of the things that are necessary for that to happen. It doesn't happen by default, that's a huge myth. God gives the vision 100%. I quoted it last week. um, It had not rained upon the earth because no one was plowing the ground. What an odd verse, right? That is a very odd verse in the book of Genesis. It doesn't fit in the flow of the... If you're reading that chapter, it's one of those things that doesn't fit in the flow of time or the rhythm of of the chapter. It just jumps out. Anytime a verse seems odd, you need to pay attention to it. Prayer of Jabez, I shared that too. Prayer of Jabez is one of those places where, it, where as you're reading the book of Numbers and you're just reading, all of a sudden, this story about Jabez just kind of just shifts. It just jumps out. And then after this, Jabez is talked about, then the story, and then it goes right back into the, it's, it's unique. It's like, what, that's odd. And so this odd verse that says, oh yeah, it hadn't rained upon the earth because no one plowed the ground. So let me ask a question. In what world? <laughs> So the farmer needs rain, so what he should do according to that verse is go out and plow the ground, you know? Well, we need rain. What are you doing? Let's go plow the ground because that'll make it rain. That'll make it rain if we plow the ground. It's an odd verse. what What it's meaning, you want the vision of heaven to release. You want the rain of heaven to release. Plow the ground. Do the work. Prepare yourself. Train yourself for a day that yet is to Come. You don't know when that day comes, but prepare yourself for it. Believing that if heaven spoke, it's going to happen. And so many believers, the wheel of time and the window passes them by because they have not prepared themselves. It wasn't that God didn't send the epoch. It wasn't that God didn't send the kairos, the moment of change in the sphere of time. He sent the sphere of time and he sent the moment. You weren't ready. That doesn't mean anything. Only thing it means now is you're in delay mode. Now you got to wait for the wheel to come around again. you got to wait. And so instead of three years, now it's five years. Or instead of five years, now it's seven years. Instead of seven years, now it's ten years. How long is it going to be before you decide you're going to walk through the wheel? How long is it going to be before you prepare yourself for what God's told you to do? He's not going to do it for you. He'll do it with you, but you got to do it with Him. So the idea when getting a vision from God is exactly that. He gives vision. The clouds, man. It's surreal. It's like wonderful. We're like, whoo, that's a word from the Lord. Man, I felt that. That was awesome. That was amazing. That was clear. I saw it. I was there when the word was spoken. That was amazing. And we just come down and go, well, just going to have to wait for the timing of the Lord. It's all the timing of the Lord. No, it's preparation. You want the rain, start plowing the ground. Plow the field. Do the work. Do what's necessary. You know what happens with plowing? You got to move rocks. Huh? <laughs> I spent a summer with, on my uncle. My uncle, long story, loved the man, great guy. My mother's family, one of the things that they did is, well, they owned bars, saloons. Yeah. And they owned uh, horses and stables. So my mom's family comes from Kentucky. So my great-grandfather owns racehorses, raised thoroughbreds. And my great-uncle um, took over the business for him. And he owned a very big farm, crazy story. So he'd invite my brother and I out there for the summer, and we, little did we know what was entailed in this. We'd be spreading manure throughout the summer. Oh, happy day. And it wasn't like he had a manure spreader. No, we were on the back with pitchforks, throwing chunks of manure out into the field, right? But before we even got to the manure, we had to walk the field, and we had to remove rocks, The whole time, my uncle's driving on a tractor with a flatbed trailer, pick that rock up over there, rock. okay, and I'm like, you know, man, I'm so glad I decided, Uncle Van, to spend the summer with you, and then it got better, throw all the manure on the trailer, and then go out and spread manure. Nothing glamorous about that at all, Nothing, nothing enthralling, but in order for that harvest to come, that had to be done. We all want the harvest, but nobody wants to move a rock. We all want the harvest, but nobody wants to spread manure. It's true. And we run around all day time, oh, the harvest, the harvest, the harvest. You haven't even plowed the ground, man. You haven't spread the manure. What's in your way? The rocks are what are in your way. The, the, the manure is the dirty work, man. The fertilizer that's going to cause what you need to do to root and to hold. A lot of people can't receive the vision from God because their character has not had been fertilized enough to hold the root when God sends the seed. He can't give it to you. Because it's a crop failure, crop failure, crop failure. Because you've not fertilized your character and your soul enough for him to put anything weighty or significant on you. you got to dig because, Lord, where do I need to fertilize? Lord, where are the rocks? Where are the stones that are in the field? Where do I need to get that out of? What seeds do I need to sow? What do I need to fertilize? All of that is what brings forth the harvest. This is reality. This isn't like fiction. I'm telling you how it actually works. It works this way. You know, oh, we're just going to have a harvest. We're going to have a breakthrough. We're going to have a harvest and breakthrough. Yeah, yeah. But if you want it consistently, and you want it dynamically, and you want it at a high level, that's, this is what it looks like. Everybody gets a breakthrough. I mean, breakthroughs happen just shotgun, an occasional breakthrough here, an occasional breakthrough there. But if you want something that relates to your life and the word of God that's over your life, you have to do those things or it doesn't happen. Moses spent time developing himself, he was able to do great things, God was able to speak to him of heavenly things, and God was able to give him instructions, because Moses had been educated in the things that were necessary for him to do that. So when God says, here's the tabernacle, Moses, Moses didn't go, oh, anybody know how to read blueprints around here? I don't know, I mean, we need to find someone. He was already qualified. When God spoke to him of a heavenly dynamic... He already was qualified because he understood. He was educated in that system where they understood heaven to earth, heaven to earth. It was a false religion, again, but they un- that, that's how the Egyptians worshipped. It was heaven to earth, heaven to earth. They didn't do anything but by celestial sign, and it was a constant partnership. So Moses understood that's the way it is. Okay, so they were wrong. You were right. So this is the way we're supposed to do it. It's true. true. So Moses had a sense of purpose. He invested in himself. He lived it courageously. He acted courageously. And while Moses was in Midian, he was there for 40 years. He was faithful. This is huge. And this is probably why God left Moses in Midian for 40 years. We have two sections of visitation with Moses. Moses 40 is the number of visitation. God visits Moses. Moses does it in his own strength. God visits Moses again 40 years later. And it's a partnership. And Moses gets it. First time he didn't get it, second time he got it. Moses proved faithful. He was in Midian serving his father-in-law's flock. The Bible tells you this. If you cannot build a work for another, you will never be entrusted in that which is your own. So if all you're doing is building your thing, you're never going to be entrusted with your thing. You have to be willing to build into a work that belongs to someone else. Heaven values this tremendously. We add value to one another. We build one another up. So people that are constantly all about themselves and look at other people only for what you can do for me, you, you, you may as you just voided, you voided all of heaven's power over you. doesn't mean that heaven's not for you, but you're not going to activate heaven. Moses spent 40 years building up another man's house, building up Midian's ministry, building up Midian's life, building up his father-in-law's household with no inheritance there at all. There was nothing promised to know Moses, but he served his father-in-law faithfully. And you don't think heaven saw that? Heaven haven't looked at that and said, there's a guy that can serve. There's a guy that can do what I need to do. That's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for that right there. He understands this principle. We live by a principle as believers. I just had someone tell me out in the hallway how helpful this church is. She's like, I can't believe she's from another state. And she said, this church is so helpful. She's like, I can't believe how helpful um, you all are to each other. She's like, it just amazes me how willing to help each other you are. And that's to your credit. You know, you should be honored for that because that's the kingdom. It's really the kingdom. We are to add value and help each other. Whenever we have an opportunity, we add value and lend strength to one another's lives. Come on. Yes. Problem with Moses, he acted on his own power. He acted on his own power and his own timing, but Jesus revisits Moses' purpose. This is interesting. Romans says this, the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. (laughs) He doesn't change his mind. If he gifted you, he doesn't take it from you. If he called you, he never takes the calling. That's hard for us. Because we think we screw up, we lose it. That's not heaven's economy. He never took it from you. He didn't take it from Moses. Moses kills a guy. Didn't disqualify him. Just put him in time out for a little bit, but it didn't disqualify him. The gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. He doesn't change his mind. You cannot qualify you because you cannot disqualify you because you did not qualify you. Jesus is the only one who qualifies you. That's what you got to understand. The kingdom of heaven is not like the kingdom of men. The thinking of God, the mindset of God is not like the mindset of men. You screw up while you're out. That's not heaven. That's why grace is amazing. God's the God of the second, the third, the fourth, the fifth, the tenth, the 70th, the 70 times seven. He's that kind of God. He gives you 70 times seven. How many chances you want? 490 in a day. That's how many opportunities he'll give you. Aren't you glad? We disqualify each other all the time. We write people off all the time. He doesn't do that to you. He doesn't do it. That's why, again, his love is compelling us. I know I screwed up. If I return to my father's house like the prodigal... At least I'll be a servant. Well, little did the prodigal know he was going to be made far more than a servant. He was going to be restored fully to son status. He was never disqualified. The elder brother, the religious, arrogant elder brother, wanted him disqualified. This wasteful, prodigal son of yours, how dare he return? I, the rule keeper, have been here all my life and have done it all right. And this guy returns and you restore him to full status? Yeah. And you know what the father said to the elder, arrogant, legalistic, religious brother? Have a Cinnabon. Everything's yours. <laughs> Chill out. Everything that you see is yours. Why don't you enjoy it a little? Why don't you stop being a religious rule keeper and why don't you dive into the abundance of grace and the love and the compassion and the, all of the fullness that I have? Why don't you swim in that world for a little bit? It's true. God, you have to get this. God doesn't disqualify you. He doesn't disqualify Your mistakes don't disqualify you. He doesn't have confidence in you. That's the first thing that should make you smile. I'm like, awesome, man. Because it's not, that makes me go, yes. So when the Lord tells me, I know his confidence in me is zero. His confidence is in his spirit. And so I know that when God is commanding me to do something, what he's truly commanding me to do is partner with his spirit. Kevin, I'm giving you an invitation to partner with me on this. I'm giving you an invitation to take a ride with me on this. Will you come along? That's what he's doing. He's not looking at you going, man, you better do this. And you better get this right. The kingdom's dependent upon you. <laughs> That's how we take this stuff. We take it like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And most of the time we run and we hide from our calling because we don't understand the dynamic of our calling. He's telling you because he wants you to go with him. He wants to take you on a ride. He wants to take you on a journey. He wants to show you who you are and who he is. That's the point. So he tells Moses, the gifts and calling are without repentance, man. That's what Romans tells us. He doesn't change, man, he doesn't change his mind about you ever. Ever. God's in a bad mood. All of the anger that he had towards you, he poured it out on the cross. The fullness of wrath and the fullness of, the fullness of his anger was poured upon the Son on the cross. And that's a lot of anger, so you know. But the Bible says if, if all of it was poured out towards you, and that in Christ there's no anger left, there's nothing left towards you. The no, Bible tells us in Isaiah, he will be angry with you no more. Glorious day. This is as the waters of Noah to me. For as I swore in my wrath that I would not flood the earth again, so I swear, it's a prophetic sight of Isaiah seeing the cross of Christ, the death of Jesus on the cross, that's what he's seeing, the prophet is seeing it hundreds of years in advance. As I swore as the waters of Noah, I wouldn't flood the earth again, so I swear by this that I will be angry with you no more. He's not mad at you. You can rightfully say Jesus is always in a good mood. And people go, well, we have a hard time with that because it's like, this does not compute. This does not compute. We have a hard time with it. Because it, it, does that mean that everything that we do, God accepts? No. No. He's not mad at you. But it doesn't, he doesn't qualify you into his anger. Well, the only person you're hurting when you do that is you. You're not hurting Jesus at all. He still loves you. And he goes, well, you know, I got a lot for you. If you just kind of wake up to that, you know, help me help you. Is kind of the scenario with the Christian, but what we do is we partner with a lie that says God's angry with us. He's not angry with you. He's not angry with you. If you're apart from Christ, you don't know Jesus, uh, yeah, the Bible says you're under wrath. That's true. So the anger of God looms over you because of sin. Sin is the judgment, right? And you're under the judgment because of sin. But when you come to Jesus, oh happy day! You get open heaven. You get the favor of God. You get the blessing of God. You get restored to son and daughtership status fully. Fully restored. Angry with you no more. Not angry with you anymore. Jesus is always in a good mood. It's the foundation of all kingdom thinking. The cornerstone of thinking. Jesus is the cornerstone. You don't, I, don't need to theologically correct me. I understand Jesus is the cornerstone. But the cornerstone of the thinking that we have to have towards the kingdom is that God is always in a good mood. Jesus is good all the time. All the time. If you do not think and believe that way, all of your, all of your thoughts towards the kingdom and from the kingdom are going to be wrong. All of them. That's how lies, well, God won't bless me, I'm not worthy. God won't bless me because I did this. we have all of these lies incepted in us, and what we're failing to understand is that Jesus loves us, and he's in a good mood, and he's angry with you no more. There may be some things you need to repent of, there may be some things in your way, but that does not constitute the anger of God over your life. He's not angry with you. I'll tell you a story, right? You guys want a story? Yeah. All right, here's, yes, thank you. She loves stories. <laughs> you like movies too, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, anybody seen Our Robot? She, she's like, Hadassah's like, I have. You know, so anyway. Um, so, okay. I'm in Germany. I'm with my wife. My wife's modeling. We're over in Germany. We're staying in Europe for a while. All, long story. I had a fallout with the church. I was a leader. I'm not naming names. Don't look at me like that, sure. I'm not, I'm not naming anybody's name. She's scratching her head like, oh, no. Here we go. <laughs> let's just say my ideals and the ideals that I was a part of, we just parted ways, you know? And God does, I had a calling on my life. I knew what I wanted to do and where I wanted to be. And just things got ugly and I was young and so I allowed people to take advantage of me in the wrong way. And I allowed myself to be violated in a way that as I'm older, I would not allow that to happen. But because I was young, my inexperience, I allowed people to encroach into my life and so when you go to pull back from that type of relationship, it tends to get ugly. When you have things that are entrenched, that are, when there's, when there's en- engagements that are beyond or shouldn't happen, there are people that are in areas of your life that they shouldn't be in those areas of your life. When you try to remove them from that area of your life, they usually don't want to go. Right? Like, you're not t- this is not the way it's going to go anymore. You're not telling me this. I'm not doing that. This isn't the way it's going to happen. I'm going this way and it kind of went sideways. So me, I went into this spiral. I went into this like, really like spiritual spiral. I grew my hair long. I look like, I don't know what I look like. I know my, she's, there's pictures of me with, I mean, I just grew, because I was coming out of something that was like, it has to be like this. And I was like, I don't care. I don't care. So I was younger when I actually had hair and I could actually grow it long. Some of you are like, you grew your hair long, man, dude, that must've been challenging, you know? Yeah, but I there was a time when I actually could do this. So we're in Germany, we're hanging out, all this stuff. My perceptions of God were really challenged because I wasn't doing all of the things that I was taught to do. I my checklist, I wasn't keeping my checklist. I wasn't, you know, I was doing some things, but man, I was just just doing crazy stuff. I mean, I was I mean, when I say crazy stuff, none of the religious things that I was supposed to do. And so I'm in Germany, and things are going really well for us over there and just a lot of really just Kind blessings were happening to us, and I was walking home through the English Garden, the beautiful park in the middle of Munich, and I was walking home, going back to where we were staying, and I was just praying, and I was like, Lord, why are you, I don't understand. Like, why are you being good to me? There is no reason. In other words, I'm not giving you any reason for you to be kind to me, you know what I mean? According to Christian structures, I mean, I'm not giving you any reason to be kind to me, and the Lord says, I'm not that kind of father, Kevin. That's what he told me, and that word caused me to pause, and it began a journey that took me in an entirely different direction, because what I was taught was not who he was, and I was taught good things. I mean, there's well-intended. I'm not, like, tearing it all down. Oh, these people. It was because everything there was well-intended, but they could only take me to the level of intimacy or relationship that they had. They couldn't take me beyond where they were at, That's why any of you who aspire to leadership, you have to be so far out there and so far beyond. And I'm talking into weird stuff, but you have to experience and go to places that other people won't or you'll never be able to lead them. You can only lead people to the degree that you have journeyed yourself. And that's why there's a lot of when sometimes when somebody's teaching it, you can feel the weight of what's being spoken because that person's lived it as opposed to something that feels superficial when it's being taught to you. And it seems like, oh, that's a pretty good idea, you know, and it feels a little lighter on the, on the substance side because that person probably hasn't experienced it as much as they're just, they just know this. But when you've experienced it, then the weight of that comes forward. And Jesus taught me that how I began to understand who he was. It was hard for me. It was very hard. We like religion. We do. We like rules. We don't like freedom. We don't like liberty. <laughs> it's hard. You ever see monkeys see, when they go to release like an ape that's been raised in captivity? Or a, a bird or pick, pick an animal. When they raise these, these animals, there was a whole bunch of chimpanzees in the 70s that they had done all these experiments on and they had been raised in captivity. And when they opened the cages, the chimpanzees wouldn't leave the cage even though their freedom was just presented to them. And that's the way we are a lot of times. Freedom's presented to us, but we wanna stay in the safe confines of the rules and the safe confines of the structures. You know? We want somebody to beat us up all the time. We, we need it. So just slap me around so that I feel better about myself. Said, it. I know. I'm wretched. I know I'm a sinner. You're a son and a daughter. He loves you. Stop looking. Get up and become. Okay? That, that's, that's, that's the goal. But God will teach you. God's desire for you is that you would understand that he's not that kind of father to you. He's Bible, say this with me. Jesus, Jesus. is more wonderful, more wonderful than I can imagine. So I need to expand my imagination. Say this with me. Jesus is greater than the way I think, therefore I must change the way I think. He's greater than your imagination, so you need to expand your imagination. He's greater than the way that you think, so you need to change the way that you think. He's good. How good? Really good. (laughs) He's really good. He'll be good to you for no reason. No reason. He's good just because he's good. He tells Moses, remember, he comes and re- recalls and draws Moses. He, uh, you can throw the next slide up there. Moses encounters a burning bush, but inside the burning bush, he sees a man inside the bush. The Bible says it's an angel of the Lord. Well, there's the angel of the Lord, capital letter, and when the angel of the Lord, capital letter, appears, it's Jesus. It's called a theophany. It's a divine appearing, right? Jesus in the Old Testament. And, and, and how do you know it's a, how do you know it's the angel of the Lord? Because the angel of the Lord always took worship. The other angels don't take worship, but you know when it's the angel of the Lord when he takes worship. You see the same the angel of the Lord with Joshua before Joshua goes up against Jericho. Joshua runs into the angel of the Lord, and the angel of the Lord took worship. Here the angel of the Lord takes worship. If it's just a regular angel, they're like, get up, don't, don't no, don't worship me, man, no, 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 Up, 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 up. <laughs> don't let Jesus see this, don't, no, no, I'm just kidding. So he calls Moses to himself. Moses sees the man in the fire, in the flame, okay? The God, the consuming fire, right? A flame that does not consume. It burns, but it doesn't destroy. It burns, but it perpetuates. It continually burns. Moses approaches it, and the Lord says to him, take your shoes off, Moses, because the ground you're standing on is holy. Only place God says this. Why does he say it? Well, probably because Moses needed humility. This is a big piece with Moses. Humility was an issue. Moses, again, was highly educated, Moses had it all going on. Moses had all the right answers. I know, God, you got a good answer, but I got a better one. Don't you know who I am? Haven't you seen my PhDs? Haven't you seen my MBAs? Haven't you seen all this stuff? Okay, Lord, I know you got a good idea, but my mine is way much, way better. So Moses had an ego. Moses had pride. And so God tells him, take your shoes off. He has to take his shoes off and become vulnerable. God says, come to me and be vulnerable. And he also, another point of that would be too, is that what I'm summoning you to, Moses, you cannot accomplish with what you're standing in. What you have put your feet upon is not going to bring you to where I'm calling you to. You need to get rid of what you have put yourself into. What you're standing in has to get out of the way and you have to come to me humbly. God has a vision for you. God has a purpose for you. And he says, I'm sending you. I want you to go to my people. I want you to go to Egypt. I want you to go to Pharaoh. I want you to confront your worst nightmare. (laughs) Pharaoh sat up about seven feet in the air. And there were tears leading up to Pharaoh's throne. And all of his counselors did. So when you went to talk to Pharaoh, you're talking to a guy that's about seven feet in the air. So you're looking at him like this. Pretty intimidating place in a hall and in a court. And Moses knew where he was going. And God says, I'm sending you there. And part of the reason that God is sending him to this place is that Moses had made an investment in himself. And there's a story, I share this story too, and and, um, we were doing a project in Haiti, okay? So we're doing this project in Haiti, and uh, I didn't know what I was doing, I'd never done anything like this before, and there was a guy at the church at the time who was raised by missionaries, right? Grew up, raised in a Bible, his dad was a jungle pilot, he used to deliver Bibles into the hungala, man, he'd just dive in, you know, it's just crazy stuff. And he grew up in the mission field. So I, I go to him, I say, hey, look, I want you to help me with this project in, in Haiti. The church is doing this thing in Haiti. And he goes, uh, "He goes, let me pray about it. Comes back to me a few weeks later and goes, he's got coffee and he's like, I'm not your guy. It's like, I prayed about it. I'm not your guy. I'm like, okay. And so I, I asked the guy like four times and every time he tells me, I'm not your guy. So I, I feel like the Lord, I'm, I'm like, Lord, I don't know what I'm doing. I, you know, and I just continually see the Lord pointing his finger right at that guy and telling me that guy, that guy, that guy. So I have breakfast with him, sit down with him. Again, I present the Haiti Project to him. Really need your help here. Really would like to see your thoughts on this and what we can do to to make this right. I said, you've seen NGOs and how they work in these countries. I go, I want to do something different. I don't want to work like the regular NGOs. I want to come in with a different program. I want to do something completely different. I don't want to keep just doing it like this. And I said, you've seen all the good, the bad, and the ugly. And he goes, Pastor, I've told you before, I'm not your guy. I looked at him and I said, it's funny you say that because I prayed and I felt like the Lord told me this. The Lord told me to tell you to pick a day and he says it can be three weeks. He says it can be five years. It can be 10 years down the road, but he wants you to pick a day when he's going to get a return on the investment that he's made in you. Yeah, So the Lord told me, he said, you tell him to pick a day because I want a return on the investment that I've made and he needs to tell me when that's going to happen. He freaked out. Well, I mean, he was just like, he ended up going and ended up being like structuring and creating this whole plan and executing it wonderfully. This is what's happening with Moses. God is commanding a return on his investment. God will return, command a return on, your invest, on the investment he's made in you. Jesus doesn't sow where he's not expecting to reap. The Bible even says he reaps where he hasn't sown. He expects harvest from places that he had nothing to do with. You read the parable of the talents he had gave, and he expected a return. He didn't expect nothing to happen. He didn't come, there was, the three men that he gave those talents to, every one of them was accountable. And the one who hid it, he told him, minimum standard, you should have invested it in the church. Christians need to understand this. The minimum standard for your gifts, talents, and abilities is the church. If you can't put it here, then you haven't even hit, you haven't even hit preschool. You should have at least invested it with the stewards so I could have some interest. This is the house of the stewards. This is the house of the overseers. Okay, that's what this is. So any investment made here produces an interest return to the Lord. But what he's truly calling for is not just that level. He's calling for a lifestyle return from you. That's what he's really calling for. I mean, we beat the band and we think we need to deserve a badge and we should be on the cover of a magazine because we actually help out in church. Or we give our offering, or we give our tithe, or we serve, we think hallelujah, you know? And truth truth be known, you're in the minority of believers. 18% of Christians tithe the full tithe, 18%. So if there's 100 people in a room, 18 people are the ones supporting the church fully. That's statistic across all denominations. There's tithers and there's tippers. There are people that give, but they don't give the full tithe. There's a guy making a half a million dollars, and he might give five grand. Well, he is nowhere near the tithe. He's nowhere near, nowhere near the 10%, but he gives and he thinks he's justified. You know? I mean, read the, read the scriptures. Where Jesus sat and watched the people give. He watched them give. He could have been watching anything. He could have been watching them pray. He could have been watching how they were dealing with the kids. That's not where he watched. His eyes were on the offering box, ladies and gentlemen. And he knew what they gave and he knew why they gave it. <gasps> no! That's new testament that's not old that's new testament <laughs> and we think we deserve a badge if we do that you only you're only hitting the minimum standard that's just the minimum standard god's called you higher he expects a return and you've got to get vulnerable and you've got to get humble and you got to take your shoes off and present yourself humbly and do what he tells you that's how this game is played Moses protested he said who am I so he asked four questions question one who am I his his question to, to the Lord is okay so I don't even know who I am Lord you're sending me to this guy and so it's a question of like who am I kind of humbly but it's also an identity question dude I don't even know who I am am I Hebrew am I Egyptian am I Midianite who am I really like like who am I If I'm a Hebrew, then everybody looks at me as a slave. I'm no more than a slave. If I'm an Egyptian, well, I gave that up long ago. If I'm a Midianite, well the Jews and the Pharaoh and the and the Egyptians hate the Midianites. So which one am I? (laughs) And he says, I will be with you. The Lord says this to him. This is amazing, 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 amazing. Right here. Get this. It's the Hebrew word at yah, and it means I will reveal we think it's Jesus is just going to run arm in arm with us. Oh, he's with us. You know, do do. You know, we think that's what it means. The Lord says, no, nope, go with me and I'll reveal you. That's what he said. Go with me and I'll pour out of you. That's the other idea. Empty out. I will unfold you and I will reveal through you and I will un- empty out, empty you out. You want to know who you are? You got to walk with Jesus. You want to know who you are? You got to do what he says. And when you go with him at Yah, he unfolds you. He reveals you. You don't know who you are until you walk with him. You have an idea of who you are. You can be a son and a daughter, but until you get about your father's business, then all of a sudden your life becomes a revelation. He pours out of you, he unfolds you, he reveals you. And we think, well, the Lord's just going to come with me like the buddy plan. He's got his arm around me. Don't worry, Moses, I'm right here with you. It's a complete different idea. He's like, I'm going to empower you and I'm going to reveal you. I'm going to show Pharaoh who you are by showing him who I am. I'm going to show the world who you are by showing them who I am. I'm going to pour out of you. God could have done it without Moses, but he, do- he doesn't do that. He chooses to do it in partnership. Moses couldn't do it without the Lord, and the Lord wasn't going to do it without him. You want to know who you are. You've got to partner with him. You've got to walk with him, and he will reveal you. You don't know you. You have a title, but a lot of times you don't even know what it means to be a son until you walk with him. You don't know what it means to be a daughter until you walk with him. You don't know what it means to be a servant until you walk with him. You don't know what it means to be a friend. You don't know who you are, what you actually have the capacity to be or to do, until you walk with him. God says, "If you walk with me, and you go where I tell you to go and do what I tell you to do. I will pour forth, I will unfold you, I will pour you out." Isn't that wonderful? Big difference between that and the buddy system, right? God's just going to go with me. He's going to put his arm around me. He's going to put his arm around me. <laughs> Second question was, "Who are you?" Moses goes, man, if I go to these people and I tell them that you sent me, who in the world am I going to say sent me? And the Lord said, tell them I am sent you. Well, that helps, doesn't it? That's like thumbs up right there. Hey, everybody. Good news. Gather around, right? The Lord is going to bring us out of Egypt and out of bondage and into promises. Well, what's his name? Hold on. I am Ooh, you know, I mean, we, who would be, we'd all be jumping. He uses the word Yahweh, and it means I am yesterday, today, and tomorrow. The God of all substance, the God of all sufficiency. God says, I'm going to be everything that you need, and I'm going to bring you forward. He's everything you need. Not only that, he gives, a, this name is a covenant name. Important to know, angels don't know God as, as Yahweh. They never will. Every time you hear, if you read the Greek or you read the Hebrew, Particularly the Hebrew, we use the word Elohim. If you use the word, when an angel speaks, they use the word Elohim. It means supreme God, all-sufficient, all all-ruling, all-powerful judge. That's what the word Elohim means. So when an angel speaks of God, they call him the all-powerful judge. That's how they refer to him. You and I don't refer to him that way. We call him father, right? They don't know him as Father. The angels sit there and scratch their heads. The Bible tells us, I think, in Peter, it says these are things the gospel is what the angels want to look into. They don't understand this relationship that we have with God. They don't understand it. They don't get it. We have a different relationship. We have a covenant name. God binds himself to you in a covenant name with promises. You have promises, here's just a handful of them attached to his name. He has salvation, Jesus or Yeshua as Yahweh saves. We have salvation is promised in Jesus' name. You have presence and it's promised in his name. You all have promises today that belong to you. Whether you access them or not is up to you, but you have promises that are attached. God promises his presence. Church teaches it's off there in the sweet by and by. God says it's right here in the now. You can have access to his presence right now. All you got to do is open up, the power of the Spirit come into you, and you can begin to receive and access his presence anywhere, anytime. It's yours 24-7. He never withholds it. You should practice it sometimes. Just get quiet. Just say, Holy Spirit, come. And watch how quickly he comes. And watch how immediate he begins to manifest with you. Doesn't matter what you're doing. You can be in the middle of something stupid, and you can go, Holy Spirit, come, and he will. Because he's that eager to be with you. He wants to be with you that much. And he loves you that much. His presence is a promise given to you, but you have to activate it. Nisi, Jehovah Nisi, God's victory. He's our banner of victory. Oh, and a sweet vine and yes, oh, through the resurrection for the dead, we'll get the final victory. Oh, yes, yes. No, right in the rotten here and now. God's the God of victory. Right now, you take your rightful place, stand on the promises of God, and expect your victory. God is a God of victory. To Sid Canoon, God's our righteousness. You know Your righteousness, nothing you do qualifies you. God's already qualified you. You have righteousness. You can come boldly before him right now. There's nothing you need to do apart from Christ to what, for Him to welcome you into His presence. You are, sat, you are right before Him. You're not, there's nothing you can do to make yourself more right. We, what we don't understand is position and alignment. Position, you're right. You may be misaligned. Okay, so positionally, I'm right. I'm right before God. I'm righteous to the Lord. I'm accepted in His presence. But my life may be misaligned with His intended purpose. That's the difference. But just because my life is misaligned, it does not mean that I'm not accepted or I'm not positioned in front of him in an acceptable way. You understand that? That's why Christians, we have a hard time because we don't know the difference between what the Bible is talking about, sin. The two different words that it uses for sin. We don't teach it. I don't know why. I teach it every chance I get You know, harmatia, harmatano, teach you all the time. Two different words for sin in the Bible. One means to offend, the other one means to miss the mark. But we love to do the miss the mark. I think we're trying to do some kind of control over the Christian because we really don't want him to know that you're fully forgiven and you are positioned and you cannot lose your position in Christ. You are righteous before him. Your life may be completely in the wrong direction, but if you're born again, you're born again. The question is, are you born again? That's the question. And how do you know that? Does the Holy Spirit bear witness on your heart? If the Holy Spirit bears witness on your heart, you're born again. Because the Spirit is the one who is the Spirit of adoption. That means you're born again. If the Spirit of God is bear witness on your heart, you're born again. doesn't mean your life's perfect. So we got to get that too. Shalom, God promises you peace. You have, can have peace right now. You're gonna, your life can be falling apart and the house can be burning down and you can be at peace. I mean, you can be singing songs and I don't know. You can be doing all kinds of stuff, but you can be at peace in the midst of a storm. That's available to every believer. Every believer. And shalom doesn't mean just this peace. That's part of it, but it means a life that continually rises. Shalom means universal flourishing where your life rises in every way. That's why we call our church Elevate because we believe Jesus wants us to rise in every way. In every way. He's uplifting. He's the uplifter of our lives. And God will cause your life to rise in every way. That's a promise made to you. It's over all of you. The question isn't whether or not God wants to do it. The question is, why isn't it happening? And most of the time, it's because we're misaligned. That's why. There's a, there's an, it's an issue of alignment. If you want the peace of God, you just go into his presence and ask him for his peace. Boom. It's yours. Well, why doesn't it come naturally? Because you didn't line up with it. You got to line up and ask for it. It's there. Never left you. You just have to ask for it. You want your life to flourish? Begin to line your life up with God's purposes, and it'll be amazing how the harmony will start to come into your life, and how the rhythm of the kingdom will begin to flow when you align. Jehovah Rapha, He's the God that heals. Aren't you glad? Jehovah Rohi, He's the God of w- leadership, wisdom, and counseling, measure and fullness. We have a difference between that. We get measure, but God's, God's promised us fullness. Third thing He asks is, what about them? If I go to them, they won't believe me, Lord. This is the per- this is the giant every Christian has to ta- has to take down. You have to take down the giant of they. What will they think? What will they d- think of me? What will they do if I become this? What will happen? We have to take that giant down. Most people are held back by these. What is they? Who are they keeping you from? What are they keeping you from? The opinions of other people. What if I fail? What if you succeed? What if I fail? What if you succeed? Fear of failure is always greater than the desire for gain. The theys keep you from your destiny. Paul says in Galatians, he says, "Am I trying to win the approval of people or of God? If I'm trying to please people, if I was still trying to please people, I cannot be a servant of Christ. You can't serve God in His purposes and try to please, please please people. It's impossible. If you want to be exceptional, you will not always be accepted. So true. If you want to be exceptional, you will not always be accepted. It's a hard reality." So the Lord asks him, he says, what do you have in your hand? Let me see where I'm going with this. <laughs> we have to take this giant down. Okay, here's the deal. So the, he says, he says Lord, what about them? The way you take down the giant of other people, everybody say this with me. I must, I must. become I must. indifferent to the opinions of other people. We say that and we don't like it because it doesn't sound like it's nice. But you've got to become indifferent. Indifferent doesn't mean, okay, I heard you, but what you told me or how you feel or what you see is not going to affect me. That's indifference. You're indifferent. God's told me to do this. I don't care if you want me to do that. It's it's an indifference to where other people are. I want more of the Lord. I don't care. You all stay behind with the asses. Sherry loves it when I quote that verse. You all stay behind. No, she doesn't at all. She hates it. I know I'm going to hear it later. Did you have to say that? Stay behind with the people who don't want to go anywhere because that's where we're going. You have to become indifferent to the people that don't want to go where God has called you to go. You have to be indifferent to the people who want to hold you from who God has called you to become. You have to become indifferent. I didn't say insensitive, but indifferent. It doesn't have an effect on you. Say you got a verse? Sure I do. Moreover, it's required of stewards that they be faithful. So if we want to honor the Lord, we have to be faithful. He says, it's a very small thing that I'm judged by you or by any human court. Paul's saying, it doesn't matter what you think of me. It doesn't matter what the whole assembly of you think of me. For I do not even rightly judge myself. It doesn't even matter what I think of me. For I know nothing against myself. In other words, there's not an opinion that I have against me or towards myself that really matters. The only thing that justifies is this, that the Lord is the only one who judges me. What's he saying? It doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what the whole assembly thinks. It doesn't even matter what I think. The only thing that matters is what the Lord thinks. And that's what we focus on. How does the Lord see me? What does the Lord want from my life? God sees me as son. God sees me as heir. God sees me as steward. God sees me as a lot of things. Some of you need to get down and let the Lord start talking to you about who you are. And And begin to just brutally identify your life with that. And deny every opinion that is contrary to it. He never sees you as a sinner saved by grace. I just want you to know that. The reformers will say, we're nothing more than sinners saved by grace. Sinners saved by grace. Long ago, I was a sinner saved by grace. The minute I came out of darkness and into light, I became a son in that moment. I became born again as a son with full status. I don't have to earn his favor. It was given to me. From the time I accepted Christ, full kingdom status, son with full rights of inheritance was granted to me. No longer a sinner. No longer. I'm not a groveler. I don't, I'm not a beggar. The problem that we beg is we don't know who we are. And we believe lies that we're not worthy. You were born as a son and daughter with full rights. That's not fair. You're dang right it's not fair. Nothing wrong about faith. Nothing fair about favor. Nothing fair about favor. I'm favored. That's not fair. I know. <laughs> but I'm favored. I'm a son of the highest. Who do you think you are? I don't think I'm anything, but Jesus said I'm a son of the highest. I'm an heir of this world and the one to come. I will rule and reign with him in that life. All that I do in this world will echo in that one. Everything I do for him in this world echoes for him. Throughout eternity will be proclaimed from the housetops. they walk by and the angels will herald you. What will they say of you? It's going to be a little silent going, yeah, well, son and daughter. Yeah, well, we don't have much more than that. That's about all we got there. Okay, all right. Well, all right, we tried. Anyway, next, you know, <laughs> will be proclaimed from the housetops. Your life spent in his direction will be proclaimed from the housetops. Who cares what people think of you? You got to kill that giant, man. So many of you, you've been held prisoners by they's for your whole life. Don't want other people to think of me. What will they think of me? What that Who cares? You have to develop this indifference to the opinions of other people. You have to become indifferent. It's brutal. You have to just, no, no. And part of that indifference is towards your identity. Don't let no one define you. I, I won't let anybody define me. We're going to fight. We're going down on that one. Be like, no, wrong answer. You're not going to tell me that's what I am because that's not what I am. I'm not that. This is what I am. I don't even, I don't even accept it from myself. I mean, we all go through journeys, right? You know, we go through emotions at times, but at the end of the day, I don't accept that identity about myself. I know who I am. And I'm doing my best to fulfill the role of son to my father. That's it. And that should be your heart too. He says, what's in your hand? He tells him to throw the staff forward. He's got a shepherd's staff shepherd, staff. Jesus is a staff, shepherd, whatever. symbolic of Christ. He throws the staff forward. He says, what's in your hand has, is, is greater than your fears. He tells him to take the snake. Moses jumps back when he sees the snake, and the Lord tells him to grab it by the tail. Now, I'm not really into snakes, but I know one thing. You don't grab a snake by the tail. That's not where you grab it, right? You pin the head, and you pick it up from behind the head, and the Lord goes, yeah, grab it by the tail. What, does Jesus not know how to handle a snake? No, he's trying to show Moses that what you hold is greater than your fear. He that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. What you possess and what you carry is greater than anything you perceive in front of you. Your perceptions are false because my power is greater. He says, what about my weakness, Lord, last thing? Lord, I don't talk real good. Moses is really trying to get out of this. Okay, I just want you to know that. Lord's like, go. all right, man, I'm running out of excuses. All right, I don't talk good. Right? I just I don't know how to talk. i got to go in there and i got to give a speech. and I just think I'm going to mumble. I'm going to make you look bad. I'm going to make me look bad. It just isn't going to go good, Lord. You should really find somebody else. And the Lord says, who made your mouth? Who made your mouth, Moses? You don't think I can do it? It's not about your weakness. It's about my power. My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. What is grace? Spiritual power moving in love. My spiritual power moving through you in love is more than what you need. My strength, the the weaker you are, the stronger I am. Give me your weakness. Come into my spirit. Let me become strong. Moses, here's one of the things with Moses. Moses thought he had to be perfect. He had a standard of perfection. I'm never going to do it right, Lord. I'm going to get in there, and I know I'm going to make a mistake, and I know I'm not going to do this right. He had this perfection standard for himself. The issue was Jesus didn't have the same standard for him. He isn't looking for perfection. (laughs) That's why imperfect people can do amazing things. If they're willing, you just got to take the Lord up at his offer. The focus isn't our weakness, it's his power. Say this with me In order to achieve the impossible, I must be able to see the invisible. You can never achieve the impossible until you can begin to see the invisible. Moses had to begin to see God. And he had to begin to see the world of the Spirit. And Moses had to begin to see the possibilities that God was putting in front of him. If Moses would have turned it down, he would have never seen the Red Sea parted. His face would have never glowed. I mean, he would have never seen victory over his enemies. There's so many things that Moses would have forfeited if he failed to take that walk with the Lord. Think about it. Do you, what are you forfeiting? God's put things on your heart. He's called you to things. And if he hasn't, you need to back up and start getting those things and begin to believe God for those things because you're giving up something in the process you would never see. Uh, Two verses in the scripture, the disciples said these two things. First John says, these things we have seen, these things we have heard, these things that we have handled concerning the, the word of truth. Peter says, I was an eyewitness of his majesty. I've told the Lord I want to see it. I want to know it. I want to hold it. And I want to watch your majesty. That's what I've asked him for. I've asked him for that. I don't want to be a spectator. I want to be right in the game. You know what I'm saying? I don't have to have the limelight on me, but I just need to be there, like right there while he's doing stuff. You know? I mean, I want to be in the game. And you're allowed to be in the game. You, the only reason you sit on the bench is because you want to. Nobody puts you on the bench but you. Jesus doesn't put you on the bench. You're not on the bench. He invites you. Lord, if it's you, come. Come on out of the boat. I mean, How many times? All the time. He never told anybody no. When did he say no? Never. Come on. Yeah, come on. Sure, why not? I'm with you. Yeah, let's do that. Say this with me. In Christ, disappointments become new dreams. Failures become successes. And problems become promises. Aren't you glad? Amen. Let me bless you. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. And may the Lord give you peace in every way. And may you forever live within his favor. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, God loves you. We love you. Have a great week.